0: Hey, this is Grant Haver, producer of Deep State Radio. You're hearing my voice because we're trying something new this weekend. Going forward, every Saturday, we're going to be sharing an episode from the silo. These episodes have been in cold storage, sometimes for years, but we're resurfacing them in your feed because we think they say something important about our current moment. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to another podcast, Midsummer Podcast from Deep State Radio. I am your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you from New York City. Also up here in New York City or thereabouts, we have our regular Thursday co-host, Ryan Goodman of NYU Law School and Just Security. Hi, Ryan. Hi, David. And in the nation's capital area, because it's Thursday, of course, we have with us Dr. Kavita Patel, former senior policy advisor in the Obama White House, fellow at the Brookings Institution, practicing physician, as we've learned off off microphone here, Barcelona soccer fanatic. Hi, Kavita.
1: Hi, David.
0: And uh, because it's Monday. Oh, no, it's Thursday. I'm confused now deeply. We have uh, with us Rosa Brooks of Georgetown.
2: I'm here on Thursday, David, because I wasn't here on
0: Monday. Oh yeah. Well, Monday wasn't wow. Monday without you. I know. So today is sort of an honorary Monday. Honorary Monday. Welcome to honorary Monday. That's not nobody wants to hear it's honorary Monday on Thursday. <laughs> true. I'm I'm pr- I'm pretty sure that's the case. So I'm going to go around the group, get a quick reaction to one or two developments in the news, and then uh, we'll have a deeper discussion uh, around an article uh, that Ryan was involved with. But I'm going to give each one of you up to. 30 seconds to react to Andrew Cuomo's situation, starting with you, Kavita.
1: God, 30 seconds. Like, so my immediate reaction is probably similar to Joe Biden's reaction, which, like, enough, we're wasting time talking about it. He just needs to, you know, go away. But maybe, maybe what I'll highlight is that perhaps the most insulting part of the photo montage of yesterday was this notion that just because he hugs a lot of people who happen to be prominent liberals, who happen to also be men and women, that somehow that's some sort of excuse when you read the level of detail in what the investigators found it's stunning to see such cognitive dissonance and and it's stunning that there is such airtime that was given to it i mean i was actually thinking like somebody needs to cut the feed at some point because it's such an insult and i'll say this i actually just in full disclosure i know one of the people that has been part of kind of this set of conversations one of the women and To say that all of this kind of being played out in the public is just traumatic is an understatement. And I think that that often goes unspoken about because you've got him and he's so prominent and this is more than 30 seconds, but, you know, not just 11 women. We know that just like with COVID cases, the 11 is like one tenth of what the reality is and whatever the real number is, it's it's stunning how those women are just going to have to figure out how to have their lives and be, you know, quote unquote, move on when that's the last thing they can do, especially with what's been happening.
0: Rosa, do you have any thoughts?
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and as with COVID, not
2: only is this sort of the tip of the iceberg, but the impact is long-term as, as Kavita suggested. suggested. Um, it's not a, you know, you're done. It's a, it's a deal with the the fallout for a long time for the people, the women involved. Uh, and, and it also, you know, I, I also sort of, again, as with COVID, I, I, you know, I think it's, this kind of behavior is contagious in terms of the kind of workplace climate it creates, and in terms of the impact it has on, you know, the message it sends to other men about what is appropriate, mm-hmm. the message it sends to women about what their place is in the workplace and how what they are valued for and how little they're valued for the things that they ought to be valued for, you know. So it it it's not just these incidents alone. It's it's the sort of broader impact when you get somebody as powerful, important, as visible as, as Como you know, the the sort of the knock on effects are significant. But no, I mean, God, this guy should have resigned, you know, six months ago. This guy probably we will see. Um, but it's starting to sound like, in fact, he should end up in jail.
0: And four district attorneys are looking into it right now, yes. Yes, including indeed. including our, our friend, Mimi Roca. What do you think, Ryan?
3: So I share the very same thoughts as Kavita and Rosa. And- You know, just to reiterate one part of it, which reminds me of the Kavanaugh hearings, which is that Cuomo is making a choice right now, and his choice is to harm all of his victims once again. Um, So to stand up there and do that, and to even try to hold on to power in the way in which he's doing, reminds me of Kavanaugh made a choice uh, in those hearings. It wasn't just what he had done uh, to Christine Blasey Ford and others. In the past, but he was doing it, he was making a choice to cause them or to go through that again and in a different way, in a more public way, by trying to hold on to his uh, seat on the Supreme Court. And then we have Cuomo doing this now. So I, that, to me, is one of the most you know, reprehensible parts of it.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, I know one of the women involved, too. And I know that it's not just reliving this. Um, That would be bad enough. But there's been efforts at intimidation, really Mm -hmm. bad behavior by Cuomo and his office towards the victims. So he's damaged them again that way. And clearly he should have gone long ago. Literally nobody, including any of his major allies, continues to support him. And for good reason, Uh, including the entire New York congressional delegation, both senators from New York and the president of the United States. I would say one other thing, though, and that is that I've talked to a couple of people who are older white men who have said, gee, this is terrible what's happening in America. This We're losing good public servants. And the answer is you're not a good public servant if you do this. You're not a good public servant if you're a serial sexual harasser, if you abuse your power, if you think that having high office gives you privileges that are contrary to the law or decency. And uh, by the way, I was in the Clinton administration with Andrew Cuomo. And I have to say, if you took a poll during the Clinton administration as to which cabinet member was likely to be a giant asshole in the future, Andrew Cuomo probably would have won that because he was a giant asshole when he was in the Clinton administration also. That's as much as we're going to devote to this. Ryan, uh, I saw today, one of the things you guys do at Just Security, which is great, is these timelines where you essentially sort of go in, do a deep dive and, you know, sort of put the pieces together in the way perhaps a prosecutor would put the pieces together while making a case against somebody. And you published another one of these today focused on the insurrection and the chief of staff. And I thought maybe it'd be a good idea for you to talk about what you did a little bit, and then we can, Kavita and Rosa can respond to it a little
3: bit, and then we can talk a little bit about where it all goes from here. The idea for the project was that, especially with the congressional committees that are looking into the different efforts by Trump and his associates to overturn the 2020 election, and given the recent revelations that have come from the Justice Department releasing documents and handwritten notes by senior Justice Department officials and the like, we're starting to see a picture emerge of um, not just what we kind of heard, knew about before, which is trying to overturn the election results in Georgia and other ways by pressuring state officials and the like, and through Giuliani's quote unquote uh, litigation, legal litigation efforts, but multiple efforts by the White House to pressure the Justice Department to create the image of there being investigations or corruption and within the election. And the thought here was with the recent books that have come out, Wall Street Journal's Michael Bender, Washington Post, Carol Lennigan, Philip Rucker, um, a little bit of a preview of uh, Jonathan Carl's book, that uh, Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, appears time and again at the major intersections of these efforts. And it demonstrates, when you look at it all at one picture, remarkable judgment on his part to be the White House chief of staff and then be very directly involved in the campaign efforts. Um, so one just stream that emerges is uh, from Michael Bender's book. He says that Giuliani and Mark Meadows, chief of staff, set up a "quote unquote" parallel track to try to promote election fraud ideas, which is very similar. It has the same echo as the impeachment effort with Giuliani setting a parallel track as a personal attorney working with a White House official, and then um, a second part of it is kind of bad character. One of the worst characters that's emerged in uh, the recent revelations is this person, Jeffrey Clark. Senior Justice Department official, head of the civil division, who tried to, it seemed, institute a coup um, and use the Justice Department to throw the election and stop uh, certification in Georgia and other places. And lo and behold, we find also from the Michael Bender book that it is Meadows who introduces Jeffrey Clark to Trump. And then we have emails of Meadows reaching into the Justice Department, total violation of White House and Department of Justice contacts policy to push them to get Jeffrey Clark to look into Georgia. So it's all of that that adds up together, which among many other things, I think says that Mark Meadows has significant criminal exposure. And I would think that he'd be a person of great interest to the committees, of course, but uh, to the justice department. So it raises one bottom line question, which is why have we no indication that the justice department is actually investigating this? in an ideal world, much prefer to see Meadows being put before a grand jury rather than Meadows litigating whether or not he has to appear before Congress.
0: No, no No. question about it. I would add to that, by the way, just as a parenthetical, that as I've mentioned here before, I'm doing a book and I'm looking at the certain aspects of what's going on in the Trump administration. And I've interviewed now 35, 40 senior trump administration officials uh some appointees and some top you know uh career kind of positions and meadows comes across as a bad actor i mean just a bad actor and you know there's a few there's a coterie around the president you know stephen miller and jared and richard grinnell and ratcliffe and uh mulvaney to some extent Mm. on some of the time but you know as one very very senior former trump administration official said to me very recently the the chief of staff's like the deputy president when the chief of staff speaks to you it is with the authority of the president and so this kind of abuse besides being you know illegal in in many respects is uh doubly, doubly damaging. Rosa, you, before this election cycle fully played itself out and started to look at scenarios for how it could come off the rails. And, uh, you know, you're having this unique ability to go back, see how your, how your scenarios compared to what actually happened. And I, you know, I know, for example, one of your scenarios had the Secretary of Defense getting fired and replaced by, you know, so, you know, a, a, somebody else who might be more pliable in case they wanted to put troops in the street. And lo and behold, that happened. As you hear all this, what do you think?
2: I, I mean, not surprising at all to find this out. I, I think I think that the only thing that is surprising to me is the fact that it is still surprising to people that Trump and his inner circle were willing to go to any extreme, violate any norm, violate any law, to keep that guy in office. I mean, I mean, I think the surprising thing is that that's surprising to people, and that frankly was surprising when we did those scenarios through the Transition Integrity Project in the summer of 2020 as well. And I, I think the reason, I think the only reason that the the work that that project did got as much press and so on as it did was because what I think it helped demonstrate was that the the safeguard that everybody was assuming was in place was the voluntary compliance with sort of standard electoral norms and norms of democracy by the Trumpies. And I think what those, you know, the the, the scenario-based exercises we carried out showed just how bad it could get if you have people who don't care at all about those norms um, and are happy to discard them. You know, it, it showed how vulnerable our system is to, to people who are just completely shameless. And I think that was shocking. And frankly, I think how bad things could get was shocking even to many of the participants in the exercises. We we had a lot of sort of pale faces in the debriefs of people kind of going, oh, I thought it would be bad. I didn't know it could be that bad. And, and, and I think that the media found it shocking too, but, you know, as, as the work Ryan has just done, as work many others have now done in, in sort of piecing together what in fact happened, all of our most paranoid fears of, of, of how lawless and irresponsible and and craven their behavior could be were more than realized. Uh, You know, they were every bit as bad as we thought they would be and possibly somewhat worse.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It seems, it seems that way. What, what, what's your reaction to all this Kavita?
1: Oh, i Rosa's uh, she said it best. I'm not sure why any of this is surprising, but I'm going to, for Rosa or Ryan, David, I'd like to plant the question. Okay. So now what Ryan's right. And um, by the way, like the timeline, it also just having off the heels of this kind of uh, Cuomo discussion or kind of this toxicity just shows you the toxicity knows no boundaries. Like To me, this is like, how does this happen? It's not just that Donald Trump won, it's just this incredible toxicity that predates Trump even being a candidate. Let's be honest, I I think the environment in which this type of depravity and toxicity occurs is not limited to the Republican party. It's also not limited to crazy people like Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani. And so my question is more from a reform standpoint, because I'm a government type person. Like, so what is it if it's not going to be that the DOJ is really going to go after Like, where where are we going to ever have checks and balances? It feels like my understanding of the non-lawyer constitutional framework of how we have checks and balances in this country is broken. And it just, I I don't know why it, I I feel like whether it's January 6th, COVID response, I mean, this just feels like one more data point in like a series of data points that's overwhelming evidence. And I think I'm probably like a lot of Americans just frustrated that it feels like he'll never answer. He will, maybe he'll be held culpable and maybe there'll be an embarrassment of something, but nothing ever happens. And then what will change when nothing changes? They pin this on Mark Meadows. And yes, he's awful and evil. But to Rose's point, and I think, Ryan, you've said it before, you've had it on your blog. We just don't know. It's the tip of the iceberg. We don't even know the names of all the other things. And there's no reason to think that it's limited to just the Trump administration, by the way. Remember, before the Trump administration, we talked about the Bush administration this way. And again, yeah. I'm not limiting. This is not just a Republican issue, by the way. So anyway, that's that's my piece. But I'm more curious, Rose's Ryan's and David can and I, others.
2: Can I can I just jump in on a, on one piece of that? I, you're, I, I think you're absolutely right that it's not just the Republicans. I do think it's more common in the Republican yes. Party. Yes.
1: OK, that's fair. No, well, and I'm a Democrat.
2: So the key I'm... <laughs> difference between most Democrats and most Republicans um, is that it's not that Democrats don't do crappy things. It's that most of the time when they're caught, they're embarrassed. Yeah, no, no that's, I, that's right. Mostly. No, that's right. I mean, that's, almost that's... an example of, of, you know, Trumpian shamelessness. Right. But but typically when you catch a Democrat with their hand in the cookie jar or, you know, doing some other nefarious thing, they're they're kind of like, oh, God, sorry. Oops, I shouldn't have done that. Won't do it again. Sorry. Whereas the, the difference is the Republicans are more willing to be like, yeah, what? What's wrong with that? Um, yeah, so I, I do. I do think it's it's not this the, the shamelessness about both norms and law is not evenly distributed
0: between the parties. I would go a step further than that in directing the question back to Ryan. And that is, whether it is or not, this situation's never occurred in the history of the country. I mean, there hasn't been a coup attempt. There has not been an attempt to throw an election. There has not been a president overseeing an attempt to throw an election. There is massive or, you know, I see. it seems to me to be massive amounts of evidence suggesting that the president tried to put Pressure on the Department of Justice on uh, election officials in different states across the country that members of Congress, including Senator Lindsey Graham, tried to do that in a state uh, that people within the Justice Department tried to do this to me, Ryan, this sounds like, you know, a conspiracy, and the objective was to essentially Steal the election. End democracy in America. Now, final point of the question, I I noticed the other day that our friend A.G. over at the Mueller She Wrote Daily Beans podcast speculated that the reason that some of this information is being leaked out now is because the attorney general intends to go after these people. And they're sort of laying a public predicate for that kind of thing. Do you think there's going to be accountability? I mean, there's an obvious case here. What's what's going on? Why are we not having that grand jury and panel?
3: I do think that there's this notable mountain of evidence, (laughs) which it's like they've really documented their crimes. And those who try to stand up documented what was happening, like the handwritten notes. So much so that it's almost like, how can the Justice Department resist the force behind that they need to go after this? And I think there's another reason why this might have a higher likelihood—is a best way of putting it—of actually seeing something down that path of accountability, which is, it's the Justice Department who got gored. So it's actually themselves. So for self-protection, and they seem to be animated as many people are when it's you know their. Group or institution or organization that has been harmed. And they, have, they were seriously harmed. I just want to read what I thought was one of the most chilling lines on one of the documents that was released this week. The Associate Deputy Attorney General drafts a resignation letter on behalf of himself and the Deputy Attorney General because he thinks that the Acting Attorney General is about to be fired by the president because the Acting Attorney General is not willing to go along, uh, Jeffrey Rosen. And here's the line. And this is just just in terms of a prosecutor having this evidence in the draft resignation email, quote, acting attorney general Jeff Rosen over the course of the last week repeatedly refused the president's direct instructions to utilize the Department of Justice's law enforcement powers for improper ends, end quote. It's just it's just it's just there. And we had the handwritten notes from December 27th where the president is raising these wild conspiracy theories that he wants the justice department to investigate. They tell him they're finding nothing. And then he says to them at the end with the handwritten notes, being told that I should put Jeff, um, Clark in to replace the leadership. So he's threatening them with firing them. All of it's there on a platter in a certain sense. I could understand why Garland, if he wanted to go down that path, would want to educate the public, socialize the public to understand, um, why they would move, um, in that direction. I'm worried that that's not what's happening. I'm worried that Garland is being reactive. The reason we have the documents is because Congress requested them. The reason we have the Justice Department saying that Mo Brooks was acting completely outside the scope of his employment by trying to incite an insurrection through his speech at the Ellipse is because the court required them to, the Justice Department, to tell them that. So I don't see them being proactive so far, even when they've been making some good moves. I see them being reactive. And then just one very quick thought on the bipartisan nature of abuse of power and what reforms there could be. There is this legislation that's pending in Congress, the uh, Protecting Our Democracy Act, so mm-hmm. PODA. And it has a number of uh, reforms that actually address, just like after Watergate, address the kind of Watergate abuses, they address the Trump era abuses across the range of issues from notification to Congress when there are contacts from the White House to the Justice Department to try to protect the Justice Department, Uh, limitations and reporting requirements on pardons and other ways in which uh, to try to deal with corruption within the White House. And then just one last note on it is um, in terms of the pardon provision of POTA, you know, the other report that is what I thought of as being like the capstone to the Meadows piece is that at the end of the day, Trump wanted to pardon Meadows, issue a preemptive pardon, (laughs) according to Bloomberg. So you have to ask yourself, why is that? And the only reason they don't is because apparently the White House counsel says that he will both resign, his senior lawyers will resign en masse, and he'll have a a press conference to say why they object to these preemptive pardons. So that's another part of the reform that needs to take place, because I think a lot of these people were acting within the or of impunity, because they also thought they had this get out of jail free card.
2: That's interesting, Ryan. I mean, that, that to me has been actually one of the few areas where things didn't get quite as bad as, as I thought they might, was that Trump didn't do a rash of preemptive pardons. And so it's, it's, it's interesting to find out that he certainly wanted to. It was only the threat of even worse embarrassment that kept him back. Well, you know,
0: that's, I mean, I don't want to give away the, you know, everybody's waiting on tender hooks, you know, like what's David's next book about? And like, God, really, I can't wait to read it. And it's true.
2: It is true. Yeah, yeah, I I have trouble sleeping at night because I I wonder about it. Yeah. Well,
0: that's because I mailed you that tender hook and it's just not comfortable. But, but the, the, the reality is that if you look at this whole process and this is something, you know, to wh- whatever extent you discussed it in your, in your scenarios, Rosa, but, but if you look at this whole process, at <clears throat> each stage along the way that Trump wanted to orchestrate his coup, there were people who stood up to try to stop him. Whether it was Millie and Esper saying you can't use the Insurrection Act, you can't put troops in the street, and then trying to stay into office through the election to make sure he didn't do that to intimidate people from showing up. At the election sites, or whether it was people in the Justice Department pushing back, or whether it was White House lawyers pushing back. This is, you know, this, my book is about not just this issue, but sort of the story in the Trump administration of how human beings stood up and threw themselves in front of the oncoming train and said, no, you can't go there. And how things could have been much, much worse. But I'd like to direct a question first to Kavita and then a different one to, to Rosa. Listening to Ryan speaking in his, you know, sort of modulated lawyerly tones, which both he and lawyer Rosa learned at the same school.
2: I Ryan is better at it though.
0: You know, it's very, no, it's very it's
2: very I have trouble not getting enraged and shaking my fist.
0: Well, that's my point. I have trouble, you know, because i that's not the kind of school I went. And but but you know, Ryan sounds, you know, very much, and I say this. You know, as a compliment, like Merrick Garland, right? Very moderate. Yeah, you
1: sound very calm, right? Very, very, calm. Very, very calm.
0: <laughs> so, Kavita, the, my question to you is: How pissed off am I? How
1: <laughs> <laughs> pissed off is Kavita? How pissed off, right? Exactly. No. Like, so let's exactly. start
0: with me, and then you can talk about how. I mean, this That's is right. No, crazy. I mean, it's
1: it, what, remember. <laughs> look, I, I think we've had almost every guest at some point kind of echo how like disgusted we are not and, and and yes and Rose in, in all fairness you're right the Trump administration put a new like low on like where things can go and let's just you're right. I I remiss if I did not point that out. But it also feels like um there's just so much like like lowness that you don't even know how to get I mean our democracy at times like when I read Ryan's timeline I'm like this is insane. I mean it's the stuff of a, it's the stuff of like a fiction book. And I don't even know, David. I'm more concerned that like I can get enraged, but it doesn't go anywhere. You know, the January sixth, like officers' testimony, and then to find out like that, you know Rosa, several of probably maybe people who you know or people who you know, who you know, like to to kill themselves, and we're not outraged. Like, how are we not outraged every single fucking minute? And I don't, I don't understand anymore. And I honestly. I've had my own little hell version of it is like people wanting me to try to convince people to get vaccinated. And, I, and there are days, and this might, you know, burn me for saying it, where I'm like, I don't fucking care if they want to die, fine, go let them die. I, I, I don't even know how to muster sympathy or energy. That's how man I am. I don't even know how to muster like a way forward other than to be completely depressed about our democracy.
0: Mm -hmm. Is there there another avenue for this other than the attorney general of the United States to do anything? If if Merrick Garland is inert or is the Mm -hmm. sort of uber institutionalist he appears to be, Rosa, is there another avenue?
2: I I mean, so I think that's that's actually a question better posed to Ryan on the legal piece of it. But I want to answer it from coming from a different direction, um, which is to say that. The legal I mean, we've had this discussion many times in the past about various issues, but I think legal roots, legal forms of accountability in the form of, you know, prosecutions are not the only kind of accountability there is and is not the only kind of response mechanism there is. You know, I do fear that we will not see the kind of legal accountability that we ought to. Um, But I also think that, you know, the route to change in sort of fundamentally is more likely to lie through political organizing than through the the mechanisms of the law. And and in fact, I want to go back, David, to something that you said uh, about, you know, all along the way, there were people who stood up to them. That didn't just happen to happen. You know, that wasn't just because, oh, oh, happy news. There were a bunch of people who, you know, one day were like, oh, no, I can't take it anymore. You know, and spontaneous. It's like the myth that Rosa Parks refused to sit in the back of the bus because she was just tired and was just like, I'm done. No, Rosa Parks was a very sophisticated political organizer. It was a carefully planned political action with planned responses and so on. And it was effective for that reason. It wasn't just some lady decided she was tired and wouldn't do it anymore. You know, And, and I think the same thing is true. The people who stood up, to some extent, they stood up because many, many organizations, you know, the Transition Integrity Project was one among many, reached out both formally and in informal ways to many of those people in those institutions and said, it is vitally important that you stand up against this. You know, it is vital, you know, here are the things that could happen. Here are the things that you can do in response, et cetera. I'm not saying that there is nobody in the world. I mean, I don't want to increase your cynicism, Kavita. I'm not saying that there were no public servants who just did spontaneously with nobody having approached them in advance and organized anything. Were just like, no, I'm done. Forget it. You know, I'm not going to do that. But but in many of these cases, the people standing up were, you know, was the product of extensive organizing efforts to say, to, you know, whether it was the state level election officials or whether it was folks at the Department of Defense, there was a sort of active effort to say to them, Hey, here are some things that could happen. Here are your legal responsibilities. Here is here is the, you know, the political consequences of what could happen. You know, here is here are the things that you could do. And that made a difference. You know, if you leave this stuff to happenstance, if you just wait and hope that people are going to have an attack of conscience at the right moment, you know, there is a very substantial risk that you wait in vain and that things go completely down the toilet. You know, that, that if we want if we want accountability, If we want to try to prevent these things from happening in the future, and I know, David, at some point you want to talk about the next set of elections we're going to have in this country. You you can't you can't rely on people's sort of inner moral fiber. You, You have to you know, people's moral fiber is a lot is a lot stiffer when they've had enough people come to them and say, this is really important. We're counting on you. When X happens, we really need you to do Y and we will back you up when that happens.
0: So let's flip the card as suggested here, Brian. Um, if we don't take any action, probably comes as no surprise to you that next year is 2022. You know, there's an election and there's a whole bunch of state laws being changed. There's other, you know, in other words, all the things that were problematic are sort of changing their form, but you could come out on the other side of the election with a Republican majority in the House. Uh, Republican majority in the Senate, Uh, either one of those things could take the next presidential election and combined with inaction around these things really invite complete cratering of democracy in this country. Don't you think that's one of the big risks of
3: inaction? Yes, I think that The seeds are being laid for 2024 right now, as well as for 2022, to carry out some of the other scenarios that Rose's group was concerned about, but in a more sophisticated way. I think they've actually learned to upgrade their technology, their arguments, and they're not going to be doing unhinged things like trying to use the idea that there's an Italian satellite, military satellite that's being used to change the um, data on some of the election results, which is what Mark Meadows as chief of staff was trying to tell, was telling the justice department to investigate that that's l- lunacy and was responded to, and it was easier for the senior justice department people to respond to that way it's much, it's much more sophisticated what they're doing. They're trying to change the local laws and install uh, Trump like yeah. people at the most local level to the state level.
2: They too are organizing this time and not leaving it to mm-hmm. chance or to sort of rear guard actions.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's, that is what is over the horizon. I think that is the current trajectory if things remain the same, if there's no accountability, there's no true fact finding, uh, things like that. So, Kavita, how
0: angry are you at Rosa for creating? <laughs> a catalog of all the things these people could do
1: wrong. I swear. And I could never be angry at Rosa. She's so great. I, I, I truly, I don't know, David, I've just, I, I, I told you I've kind of gone beyond anger and, and maybe what this has really made me wonder. And I'd be curious, all of your reactions, how, you see this happen potentially in other countries. David, you know this as well. You see this in other in cycles in other countries. Are we at a cycle in our country? Are we at this kind of point when the pendulum's here and we're now going to kind of swing drastically their way? Cause, you know, you name it, voting rights, education, childcare, you know. I don't know if you right before getting on this podcast, because I love to understand what the Congressional Budget Office does. I get all their alerts. You know, the Congressional Budget Office kind of scored like the infrastructure package. 250, some, you know, insane cost. And obviously that's what they do, but kind of the implication obviously is that like anything is going to cost a lot of money and it's going to have to come from taxpayer offsets, this and that. So how, how do we think about like, you know, where are we in this time in our country? Are we at like this extreme and it'll kind of come back, maybe modulate into the moderate or maybe come to the other extreme Or are we just screwed? And we're like in kind of a stalemate. And this is what life is going to look like because I think for so many of us, myself included, 2020 and the election was a survival necessity. I I think on a daily basis, what our country would look like if Trump were president right now with COVID. With I mean, I, I think about that all the time. And we have saved lives because we don't have that idiot in office. But how close are we to just returning back to that state? And that's what worries me. Everything you all have said makes me worry that that's where we're going back to. And I don't know how to, how to help it.
0: You know, it's a, it's a, it's a big question. Interestingly, you know, there's global trend too. You know, we always talk about, we want to go out and promote democracy to the world. Uh Um, Well, there seems to be a movement to promote shitty democracy. Mm -hmm. And Bolsonaro and Brazil and Modi and India and Mm -hmm. Orban and Hungary and bunch of other characters, including Putin who doesn't have a democratic bone in his body, are all sort of setting standards for Erdogan and Turkey for non-democratic you know illiberal democracy. the wrong outcome in 2022 and we're there
2: yeah no I think that's I think that's right I I, I think you know as I said before the the antidote certainly in this country, is to outorganize them. Uh, and I, you know, I, I mean, when we, when we did this, uh, scenario planning exercise, one thing that we were worried about is, you know, we don't want to just inadvertently kind of put ideas in their tiny little heads and mm-hmm. give them a playbook. And we wrestled with that. And in the end, I think we, we, we all felt like they're going to do it anyway, you know, <laughs> um, and the benefits of sort of giving the good guys a glimpse of what they might do outweigh any potential risk that, We're gonna give them new ideas of doing horrible stuff, but but I think that was, I mean, that was one of the things that just was we struggled with most. Um, But but I think that so so on the one hand, I think it is absolutely the case that that in this country we will see and we are already seeing, as Ryan suggested, a a far more sophisticated effort to line things up in a way that will be only to their advantage in both the midterms and obviously looking ahead to the twenty twenty four presidential election. Um, and the only way to counter that is to you know, do an even better job at the counter organizing. I do not think it's a foregone conclusion that, that the good guys prevail. In fact, I think there is a very substantial risk that in 2024, it's either Trump if he hasn't managed to give himself a heart attack between now and then, you know, or, or, or some Trump acolyte uh, who wins the presidency. Um, I think it's entirely possible that the Republicans retake Congress. Uh, in 2022, um, and that would be very, very bad and very, very scary. And I don't know how we recover from that. I mean, maybe we can, maybe we can't. And 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 I think you're you know you're you're completely right, David, to think that this is not just a matter of what happens here in the U.S. That we are kind of a bellwether, and and despite our diminished global stature, many peoples and and leaders around the world look to us uh, as an example. And and if we if we go authoritarian. I think quite a lot of governments swing authoritarian with authoritarian, which much much less risk of any meaningful pushback.
0: Ryan, I'll give you the last word here.
3: So I guess I'll just make a kind of a narrow point back to the question of accountability. Because I do think one of the ways in which Places like the Justice Department move is based on public sentiment and legitimacy. So I do think that it's important that there's pressure placed on them to do the right thing. And Congress does have something at its disposal, which is uh, criminal referrals. So there are three committees that are looking into the um, interference in the election. um, Senate Judiciary, House Oversight and Reform, and then a select committee. During their investigations, if they find that Mark Meadows and others were engaged in likely criminal behavior, they can make a criminal referral to the Justice Department. and mm-hmm. Maybe that would be something mm-hmm. that Garland would respond to if he's not going to engage in this action proactively. So, And then the last bit is uh, Georgia. So, David, you'd asked the question, are there any other avenues if it's not Garland? So many of the details that came out in the last week have to deal with Fulton County. And that is, in fact, where there is a district attorney who's currently undertaking a criminal investigation of Giuliani and Trump. So that is one wild card in this equation.
0: Don't we all have standing? Doesn't every state in the mm-hmm. country have standing against a conspiracy to steal the election? Hmm. Ju- judge? One would think. <laughs> Your honor, one would think. Um, well, look, uh, here we are uh, speaking to the listenership of, of Deep State Radio I conservatively estimate it at one hundred and fifty million people, and you know i I think Ryan makes a really good point. Everybody as a citizen has an obligation at this point if you care about these things, if you've never written a letter to Congress before, if you've never written a letter to the White House before, if you've never gotten involved, but you care about things like having the right to vote. And not having a bunch of extremists set the rules for the country. You got to get engaged, put pressure on the people you can put pressure on because the Congress can do what Ryan describes, because if the White House feels the pressure and DOJ feels the pressure, it can color the outcomes because it's supposed to. That's the whole concept here. You thought you're having a nice summer day. You thought you're enjoying the first days of August. Let me just add to summer's almost over. So, you know, it's almost back to school time. So on top of all of this other stuff, the vacations are coming to an end. Feel better? That's why you come here. Deep State Radio. There'll be more of that next week. Go to the DSRnetwork.com. You can find out the stuff we're doing. You can sign up to be a member. And I'm sure we'll have a lot more stuff like this for you to chew on. It's nutritious. And at the same time, it will help you lose your appetite. Thank you, Kavita. Thank you, Rosa. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Join us again soon. And given that things are pretty dangerous out there uh, due to COVID, again, totally Kavita's responsibility. But we're going to hit 100,000 cases a day soon.
1: Mm-hmm. Kavita, yeah, we're right? already there. Like I said, we're under reporting. But yeah, we yeah. we will officially hit 100,000. By the way, single-handedly driven by cases in Florida, pretty much. Florida.
0: Yeah. And uh, right. And so we'll talk about that again next week in some depth too, because we're going to be right in the depths of more COVID problems. So bye-bye everybody and stay healthy.